it is a piece of Long Island that has not been disturbed for over 100 years. So it's exactly as Long Island used to look. You know, the sandy trails and the pine trees and the, and the beautiful clear water just bubbling out of, this, out of the ground at 52 degrees all year long. You're not going to find a more beautiful place to me on Long Island. That was Tom McCoy taking us to one of the special places on Long Island. This and my special co-host today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Before we get started here, if you get a chance, head over to uh, Facebook, uh, our Facebook group, wetflyswing.com slash Facebook, and you can uh, submit a question there, check in with the group, and uh, and help get that, uh, get that party rolling, rolling along. Tom McCoy is on the show today and brings his A-game. We hear about why Tom decided to add another book into his collection of writings, why he is slowly closing down his website, and some cool history on the northeast part of the country. we got a, a, a big episode here, guys. How are you doing today? Very good. Good to have both of you on here. This is a fun one. We've only done these co-hosted episodes. I think maybe only one. There may have been a couple of episodes, but this is a pretty awesome deal. Um, I'm going to let Michael. He um, has, was a big part of setting this up, so I'm going to let uh, you know, Michael. You take the lead on this today. But let's just start first. Um, let's introduce Tom. Maybe we can start with Tom, and you can introduce uh, who you are first of all, and um, and then we'll let Michael introduce himself. Then we'll jump into it. Uh, one of the things, Dave, that makes this. Uh an interesting podcast. It's probably the first one you've done from Long Island, New York. Oh yeah. Uh, I went through your list and I didn't see any Long Islanders there. So That's true. I think Michael and I are breaking some ice for you. This is per- Well, we do have a good Northeast, the Northeast part of the country is actually a hot spot, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think you're right. I don't think we have it as specifically Long Island. And Long Island's a special place. And you'll, you'll find that out as we go through this discussion, I'm sure. But, uh, I caught my first trout uh, probably before I was 10 years old up in the Catskills with my father and uh, been hooked ever since. Uh, Picked up fly fishing in my teens uh, and really got into it in the the very early 70s when here on Long Island, some private clubs uh, were made public. Uh, There used to be, you know, the Gold Coast of Long Island is where the Vanderbilts and the Whitney's and the Paines and the Rockefellers and everybody else used to live. And uh, they had their private fishing clubs. There were three of them uh, on the island at least. And uh, in the late 60s, they were sold to New York State. And they became state parks in the early 70s. And uh, so that's that's when I really got into fishing the Connectquat that Michael and I were talking about earlier. And, uh, but I always went back to the Catskills. You know, I, my first fishing was, uh, on Catskill Creek on the Hudson drainage. And my next was on the Beaverkill on the Delaware drainage. And, uh, I've been fishing up there ever since. And, uh, also have, uh, traveled to about 21 states that I fished in and, uh, five countries. So, uh, that's, that's kind of who I am. I did it because I was a traveling business guy and I had a short, a rod I could put in my bag. 
There you go. So everywhere I went, I, I tried to find a, some, some fish to catch. There you go. That's that's perfect. Uh, and Michael, just give us a little intro because we met. Well, we've uh, we've talked a little bit, but tell us about your connection here to 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 TU and what you have going, and then and then to Tom. Sure. I'm I'm Michael Barger, and I'm the president of Art Flick Trout Unlimited, uh, located in Suffolk County, Long Island. That's the eastern part of Long Island. And um, the reason why I know Tom is because he, you know, during COVID, Tom did a great presentation for our chapter on the Konequat River, which is a home water, which Tom had just explained. And um, I think, Tom, you know, of the meeting on YouTube, you had over a thousand hits on that. And uh, I've also had the opportunity, Tom, to to read um, three of your books and give one of your books away as a gift and uh, which is really fun. And and you were so gracious to give away these books on Amazon during COVID that I took advantage of that and read those books. And I was very impressed with you and 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 recommended you to Dave uh, as a possible podcast. And uh, and he came back and I thought he was joking. He, <laughs> he said, why don't you uh, co-host it with us? So that that's been really fun. And here we are. That's, awesome. that's great. That's great. Thanks for that, Michael. You know what, you know, just to, you know, in your intro, I, I'm looking, I have some questions here for you, but to tell you the truth, you answered the first four questions without <laughs> me even asking them. So you're a professional. I, I just couldn't even believe it. You answered every single one of them uh, as you went. And so anyway, what I was going to do, this is the fifth question. When did you start to write about fly fishing and why? Ah, that's a good one. Well, <clears throat> I was always, always a writer. A, you know, a journalist, uh, but personal, you know, it was just a way to blow off steam and say things I really wanted to say to people I couldn't say them to, you know? Um, so I, I kind of honed my writing skills by just writing to myself. Um, and then I have a good friend who, who recently passed, actually, his name was Manny and he, he wanted to learn how to fly fish. He was basically a deer hunter kind of a guy and a big, you know, deep sea guy for fishing. And uh, so I went down to the the book review in Huntington and they had a whole shelf full of how to fish books. And I went through all these books and geez, first of all, they were all thick. They were all like textbooks. You know, they, they were dense texts that was difficult to get through. And Manny's an immigrant from Germany. So, you know, English is his second language. So I said, I, he's gotta, I gotta find him a, a simple book to read with some pictures and that just has the basics in it, you know? And so I ended up writing it. And uh, I gave him the book for, you know, his birthday in a, a loose leaf <laughs> that I printed off my printer. And uh, that was his beginning uh, for fly fit to, to fly fish. Um, as I retired, which was in uh, 2013, I said, you know, I got this book. I should try and do something with it. Up until that point, I put it in a PDF and I was giving it away for free to anybody that wanted it, as well as posting it on the LITU uh, website. So anybody could open it up and read it. Um, but then I, I found out about Amazon and, and their, their ability to self-publish. I had sent a, uh, actually I had sent a, a book 
re, uh, request to uh, several publishers, you know, saying, hey, I got this great simple book on fly fishing. And they said, yeah, yeah, we got that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so I think I didn't get any publishers, you know, calling me back. Um, so I said, the hell with it. I'll, I'll publish it myself. And I did on Amazon. And uh, it sold so far about 5,000 copies. And, and and the beautiful thing is it's on uh, digital as well as uh, print. So during COVID, I was able to do free promotion by giving it away for free, as you mentioned, uh, to anybody who wanted to read it. And I forget how many, I think I got over 1,200 hits on that alone, uh, people picking it up and reading it on, on the Kindle, you know. So that was my first book, and that's why I wrote it, and uh, and that's the beginning of the story, I guess. That's fantastic. You know, I've noticed that you've written three books called Letters to Mac. Yeah. First off, who is Mac? <laughs> well, in 1947, he and I were born about uh, a month apart, and we lived about a block apart, and uh, when all these baby boomers had to go to kindergarten. There weren't enough chairs and uh, everybody was alphabetized. So McCoy and McElhenney sat next to each other in the same seat, one chair. <laughs> so that's how I met Mac. And uh, we've been friends all these years. And I still, t I talk to him almost uh, daily on text. He lives out in, uh, uh, Carson City, uh, Nevada now, but uh, we 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 stay in touch. But uh, we've been lifelong friends, and uh, you know we played football together and lacrosse together, and did girls and cars and drinking and all the things you do as you go through life. And then he went to Vietnam, and I went to the Atlantic Fleet, and uh, when we all got back together, we went fishing, and. Uh, we still fish together once in a while, but uh, now it's more me sending him stories about, hey, Tom, I was at the Connecticut and did this. I was up at the Beaver Guild and did that. Over time, I wrote about 140 of those letters that I had kept. And so, again, once I retired, I got 140 letters that are fishing stories, basically. And I brought it to a friend of mine who's a, a writer. And uh, I said, uh, you think I could make a book out of this? And she said, uh, yeah, but you can't put 140 stories in one book. So I had to cull it down and I ended up putting uh, 20 stories in a book. And uh, one book led to the other. They're in chronological order. So it's really a memoir, but it's uh, me writing to Mac about where I went fishing and with who and what we did. And also there's some non-fishing things in there. And as you know, there's salt as well as fresh, but uh, that's how it came about. And that's who Mac is. Wow. You know, you know, it's, it's one of these things, you know, and I've read all three of them. Yeah. About how many drainages and different rivers um, do you think you covered in your letters to Mac? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, like I say, I fished in 21 states, and most of them are in there. But, I mean, I fished all of New York, of course, all up to Maine, down to West Virginia, 
over to the Great Lakes, you know, all the steelhead and uh, salmon of the Great Lakes, the Minnesota uh, waters, because I had worked for a company out there, did bass and pike and muskie fishing there, and uh, up into Ontario to Lake of the Woods, and back down into Montana and Wyoming and Idaho. In fact, I was just reading in the Trout Magazine today about the uh, Salmon River drainage, and they talk about the Locksaw River, which nobody ever talks about. That's an amazing river in uh, in just over the Bitterroot Mountains uh, from Montana in Idaho. Uh, then down into New Mexico and did the San Juan and a lot of rivers in Colorado and spent time in California. I worked for a company in Sacramento for a while, so I got up into Tahoe and the Truckee and up into the Deschutes and uh, Yakima. I don't know. Did I leave any out? No. <laughs> And sounds, then there's Tarpon. Jeez. It's like, sounds like the whole country. Yeah, it was. It pretty much is. I think that, um, you know, I assume that your books are pretty much nonfiction, Tom. And you talk about shops, guides, fish, rivers, and most importantly, great pancake houses on almost <laughs> every river. Yeah. What's your favorite <laughs> breakfast spot and why? Oh, jeez. There's a spot when we were heading, we were heading up to uh, fish with Tim Linehan up in Northwest Montana. And we were at the Rock Creek and we're traveling up through Missoula. And I, we came to a town where, where you first hit the Clark's Fork up there before you kind of turn to go north. And I forget the name of the town, but they had the best huckleberry pancakes in all my travels. <laughs> <laughs> It's you know, it's in one of the stories. I probably no, have no. the name in there. This is the this is the fun part, you know, when uh, when Dave asked me to like come up with questions, I go, oh, that's going to be easy. I've got all three books on my Kindle, and I do a lot of underlining, and so I went through the three volumes, and I had about fifty notes to myself, and every one of them was about a pancake house. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got a question for I got a question for you, Michael. This is uh, I guess it's kind of for both of you, but for Michael, you know, you've read these books. I mean, what what do you love about uh, Tom's books? You know, what 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 made you not stop at just one? Well, you know, the, you know, first of all, he does. You know, the books are nonfiction, so he talks a lot about a lot of guys that are in Art Flick, uh, in the Long Island Fly Rotters, and the different drainages or spring creeks, not drainages, but spring <clears throat> creeks on Long Island and different places. You know, we're going to talk about the salt as well, and in a lot of these people, I be I either know or have met. Um, but what I think is is very very special uh, about Tom's books. Um, is that he has some very moving stories about loss of loved ones and the healing effects of fishing. And I was wondering, Tom, if you could comment on that. Yeah. Um, you're probably talking about, uh, I had a fishing partner for 30 years named Jerry Greenholtz and, uh, Jerry and I, uh, <clears throat> were very close. He passed in, uh, 09. And uh, we fished constantly together. And when he left, when he when he, when he moved on, uh, uh, I had to uh, really adjust to fishing without him. 
which was really hard. And thank God for uh, LITU and Art Flick and all the folks in uh, Long Island. Uh, they kind of picked me up and I went, I started going with other people, you know, but, uh, and they took me out to Montana with them and they took me, you know, to uh, the Catskills and I started joining in on these group activities when, and I wasn't a group groupy person, you know, until then. Um, but Jerry, uh, Jerry was the kind of guy, he was a physician, he was brilliant. He was fishing, uh, trout fishing since the early 50s. And he just knew everything, you know. You know, I'd say, you see that rise? He says, yeah, yeah, put on a cripple. I said, a cripple? What the hell's a cripple? You know, and he'd show me and he'd teach me. And uh, he's the one that really taught me how to fly fish, you know. Um, when when he left, I had to help his wife distribute his things. And uh, he had a library of over 300 collectible fishing books. And uh, I cat cataloged them all and put them out to some booksellers. And we, we moved them all and we donated a lot to the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and such. But, you know, you, you get this when you go to the mountains. Uh, I, I still I, I catch a fish for him every time I'm there. And I catch a fish for other friends that have passed, too. You know, a friend named Clark, who I started with. And uh, now I'll catch a fish for Manny. And it'll be in the spot where we were together and fished. And uh, it, it just brings every keeps everybody very close to me. I, I find it very, uh, it's spiritual to me. I mean, uh, fishing is not, you know, dragging uh, a net across the bottom and see how many fish you can get. You know, it's. It's being there and, and remembering all these people and these these events that you had. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question, Michael, but I consider the the, ma the mountains magic. You you did you did, and honestly, you know, you know the things that touch me the most is I know when during well when reading your books, you know you you've lost some beloved pets mm. and. Having recently just lost a pet of mine this past summer, I know how 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 how, how deep that can be, and uh, and you you frequently you know you go God should I go fishing or shouldn't I and you always kind of choose to do the trip you know you know the day <laughs> trip you know yeah. because yeah. you think you know like you you say I I should be close but I think this will help me if I go and and do stuff like that and that's really what what made me ask you the question is in so many ways, there's so many healing aspects and spiritual aspects to fly fishing. I think you do a really nice job in the books to kind of demonstrate that in, in, in a very real way. And, and that's, and that's why I asked the question. Um, let's, let's talk about the salt for a second, you know, and you can talk about why fishing on long Island is so special. Hmm. Well, I live on the salt. I, I live up on Eaton's Neck and uh, been up here for 35, 36 years now. So I can see the salt, you know, from my living room window. And uh, I walk down there every day and and look for fish <laughs> without a fishing rod. But uh, I was a boater. I had a, a Grady White for many years, ever since 88. And uh, so I became a pretty proficient uh, 
saltwater fishermen in the in the Long Island tradition. In that you know, in May you go fluking, and in the summer you catch porgies, and you look for the blues in August, and in the stripers in both spring and fall. And uh, and the thing I enjoyed about it is bringing people out. And uh, it, in the end, it turned out I would be doing more more guiding than I was fishing. Everybody else was catching the fish. <laughs> but uh, Long Island, when we came here, when I mean, I was, bo- I was bo- just about born here, but uh, when we first came to Eaton's Neck, bluefish were so thick. I mean, they would get in the way. They were annoying. You know, you'd be trying to catch a bass and a damn bluefish would bite. Uh, today, you'd be lucky to find a bluefish. I mean, it's uh-huh. the the waters have been decimated, and uh, much of that due to the uh, Menhaden problem, where they're catching them so they can make vitamins out of them down in the Carolinas, and that's the basic food for uh, for our bass and our blues. And uh, but Long Island is such a special place, and so besides my own boat, I I. Uh, I love to go out to Montauk. I have friends out there and and uh, I have fly fished out there and uh, from boat and shore and caught, you know, some remarkable fish. Uh, I was lucky enough to hit a, uh, what they call a Montauk blitz where you had, you had false albacore, bluefish, stripers, all hitting the surface at the same time. I mean, you you had a hard time not catching a bird because the birds were going so crazy over the fish you'd cast and you'd end up catching a bird instead of a fish. But So Long Island can be like that. But of late, uh, you know, we really have suffered from the things you read about uh, in terms of our fishery being just decimated by overfishing. Tommy, we mentioned off air the. Um, I was just looking back through the back catalog. So, and Enrico Puglisi, we had on a while back. Is he? He's kind of up in that neck of the woods, right? I, Enrico, I don't think he lives on Long Island. Not on Long Island. Yeah, I think we talked about stripers a little bit. We talked about it, but Angelo the, Pelusi lives on Long Island. He's a he's a guy you could you could probably interview. Okay. <laughs> uh, he, he's a, he's a great saltwater fly fisherman. Uh, and has written a number of books on it, but Enrico, uh, we use his flies. That's for sure. He uses flies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got the brushes and all that stuff. What's, um, so do you do more, uh, are you kind of equal amounts, uh, salt and, uh, freshwater or, or a little more of one or the other? You know, be, because I, I keep a journal, I know that the answer to that question. And almost every year it's a 50, 50 split yep. until I sold the boat. I sold the boat two years ago. And so now it's uh, it's more like uh, 80-20 freshwater, you know. Okay. Why did you sell the boat? Well, you know, for the same reason I'm closing down the website. You know, I'm 74, and uh, and things, life is, is uh, slowing down. And uh, when you have a boat, uh, it's good to have a friend with a boat. Much better to have a friend with a boat than to have a boat. Because there's a lot to it. There's a lot of expenses, a lot of maintenance. There's a lot to, to worry about. You know, it's like having a second home in the mountains that you only go to twice a year, and you worry about somebody stealing the plumbing out of it. You know, it's it's that kind of a thing. So, uh, and and I had had it obviously for thirty something years, and 
enjoyed the hell out of it. So, and my son has two boats, so oh, there you I go. can always, I can always get on a boat. You're covered. But, uh, You're yeah. Covered. But it was, it was just time to, you know, start uncomplicating my life. And, and that's what the process I've been going through and COVID, of course, you know, my wife and I have never spent this much time together in our lives. <laughs> How, how's that been going? <laughs> it goes, it's been terrific. I mean, we're, we're married, we'll be married 53 years and I was on the road, most of them. So, all oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we could kind of do a little check here We're we're kind of, I think we're good almost midway, you know, or whatever, uh, through here. Um, how, how are we looking there, Michael? How, are we, are we doing okay? I think we're doing okay. Um, is is I'm listening to Tom and he's talking about the mountains and the mountains being, um, you know, uh, a comfort to him. I noticed that in several of your stories, Tom, you talk about taking trips to the Adirondack, not only to fish, but to climb. Yes. Yes. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, the Adirondacks uh, are, are a very special place. I had a cousin who lived in Keene, in fact, his whole family moved up there just before the 1980 Olympics, and they bought a motel. And uh, he lived right on the east branch of the Osable. And uh, so I get up, got up to the Adirondacks quite a bit. And, you know, you get hooked. Uh, there's an organization called ADK, the Adirondack Mountain Club. And uh, there's a whole cadre of people who... Uh, try and climb all of the high peaks in New York. And <clears throat> Dave, just so you know, New York doesn't have very high mountains like, like the Rockies. That's right. Uh, 4,000 feet's a lot for us. Yeah. So there's 49 peaks over 4,000 feet in York. And people try and become, or 46, 46 peaks. They try and become an Adirondack 46er. But I kind of always thought that's kind of like work, you know? It's like, oh man, I got to climb 46 mountains to be a 46er. I didn't want to do that. So I climbed all the small mountains. You know, everything under 4,000 feet <laughs> was where was where I went. And you know, the beauty of it was no one was there. When when you went to the big mountains, you followed it. You were following a line up the mountain because everybody wanted to do it. But when you went to the small mountains. It was quiet and there were blueberries and there was, you know, birds. And, uh, and so I would make a, a, a habit of climbing a different mountain every time I went up there and try and do a couple of peaks. And then I'd fish the very early morning and the very late uh, evening and hike during the day. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, but my legs aren't up to that anymore. So I, I, re I still belong to the ADK. I support them. And uh, I love reading their magazine and thinking about uh, maybe one day I'll I'll go back and hike Baxter Peak, which is an easy one. The thing about climbing is it doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> you know, you, you, you climb up this mountain, you get to the top, you look around, and then you got to go down. It's like, what's that about? <clears throat> I mean, you could look at a postcard and see the view, you know. Um, <laughs> But, but it's, it's, it's another, what I call spiritual experience. I mean, you get up there. I, I remember being on top of Newmark mountain and the, the wind was blowing so, so hard that later I read that there were tornadoes in Vermont, um, 
where would you experience something like that? You know, on top of a mountain with a, must have been a 60 knot wind. It was just amazing. And then you look out and you can see, I can see purple haze, you know. Uh, it reminds me of a song, right? But just the, the mountain on top of mountain, on top of mountain, on top of mountain, on top of mountain, off into the distance. It's just beautiful. Uh, when so. you when you climb, Tom, do you carry a pack rod? Have you ever done no. that? No. I, I try and... Uh, Concentrate on my uh, my climbing. Uh, it's it's unto itself, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I I bring a Snickers bar, you know, but uh, <laughs> I I I don't plan on fishing. And in, in fact, where I go, uh, it it's hot too high really for the fishing. Fishing is down mm-hmm. lower, down in the marshes. Um, but I certainly fish uh, in the evening and, and in the morning uh, on the Osable and on the both branches of the Osable, by the way. Uh, the east branch is well overlooked. Uh, if, if you're going up that way, you should explore the east branch for sure. You know, uh, Dave, I wanted to mention steelhead. I'm glad you did. That was actually a big, uh, that was one of my uh, topics I wanted to cover. So, yeah, go for it. Yeah. You know, when, when when you first contact me, I'm saying, what the heck is this guy calling me for? I mean, he's, he's talking about wet fly swinging for steelhead out, out, out west. And uh, I haven't fished for steelhead out west. But, you know, New York has two great lakes. We have Lake Ontario and we have Lake Erie. And they both are filled with steelhead as well as salmon in, in Lake Ontario. And we have a salmon run uh, every fall. Uh, coming out of Ontario. And we also have a steelhead run that runs from, say, October till April, coming out of both lakes. And uh, I've fished both of those. And in fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is Tom's Fishing Stories uh, on YouTube, uh, you'll see a couple of clips of uh, our steelhead trips and the amazing, amazing fish that we've, we pull out of there. So, uh, you know, people think, that's why I say New York is, and Long Island is an amazing place. I mean, we have spring creeks, we've got striped bass, we've got steelhead, we've got the Catskills, we've got the Adirondacks. And, you know, if you're a deer hunter, we've got some deer, too. There you go. There you go. No, I think it's, I love the, obviously, the steelhead is a passion for me and everything, and we've expanded, but, um, but yeah, I always love hearing the different stories because we have, we've done a lot of Great Lakes steelhead episodes. We've, we've only done a few of kind of the Northeast stuff. What do you, you know, if you had to describe it to somebody who hasn't fished out there, what would you say, um, you know, how would you describe it compared to say other types of steelheading? Okay. Well, there's a river that everybody goes to called the Salmon River and it comes out of Ontario and it is uh, ridiculously overcrowded uh, during the season, during the run. Let's say from October to December, that run. Um, I mean, you're you're literally elbow to elbow. You got to synchronize your casting. You know, you you know, it, it, it's like a ballet. Um, but there's some fish. Uh, they do have a fly fishing only zone, which is upriver from Altmar. 
and uh, it goes all the way up to the, the dam. It is a tailwater. Um, and that's a little more peaceful, but not much. I mean, you get some spay guys in there and you got to give them a little room, right? Right. So, uh, yep. you know, it, 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 but it's, it's a beautiful country. There's a lot of fish, but there's also a lot of people. But when you go to western New York, when you go further out to the Lake Erie drainages, the Canada Way, the Cataguaracas, now you have a chance of having a river. I, I've actually been on Canada Way by myself uh, with steelhead, and that's unheard of. Um, and and other times, yeah, there's there's 20 people in sight, but there's enough water and enough fish to, to work. So I like the Lake Erie drainage fish better, but you don't get any salmon out of Erie because it's too shallow. Oh, gotcha. But okay. By the way, if a guy that uh, whom I know and and has written books on Great Lakes steelheading in New York is uh, Rick Kushtish. Oh yeah, Rick and, Jer- and Jerry Kushtish. They're brothers. They both come from Buffalo, and uh, Jerry is the guru. You know, he he's our uh, Obi Wan Kenobi of uh, fly fishing. He used to work, you know, for uh, uh, sweetgrass rods out there. And, uh, and Rick stayed in New York and, and is a steelheader through and through. But their fly fishing for Great Lakes steel, Great Lake Steelhead is a great book and has a sequel to it. You might want to get a hold of Rick and Jerry and get them on here, too. Yeah, I, I think I will. Maybe I'll, I'll hit you up if I can't connect with it. We recently, I was just looking back at our back catalog way back at episode 12. Uh, we had um, Rob Snow White, who has a podcast, right? The Great Lakes. We we covered the Salmon River, and uh, right. it was a pretty funny story because he talked about that. He said how he was out there, and some guy had a boat that he. Um, it was this really bizarre story that Rob. Uh, do you guys know of Rob? The podcast he does. I don't. Yeah, no. he's In got. Fact, it. This is this is my first exposure to podcasts oh, as cool. a medium. Cool. How's it? How's it feeling? For you? How's it feeling? For you? <laughs> <laughs> are you are you liking it or, or not? I've listened to a few of Dave's, uh, shows, you know, the one on the, uh, I listened to the Orvis guy on his podcast. It was Phil, Phil Monahan, and uh, yeah. I, I tapped into a few others and, uh, you know, I, I can see the, the, how interesting you get sucked into this. The next thing you know, an hour has gone, you know? Oh yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's the, the podcasting, I think the, I mean, I just enjoy talking, you know, and I mean, really that's the bottom line is if you're just having a conversation and not really thinking of it as an interview, it's always better, you know, just kind of, you know, we'll clean it up a little bit in uh, post-production and make it sound great. But, um, but no, I think our, so you're feeling pretty good, Tom, you, you might want to do another one of these down the line. Oh, sure. This is, <laughs> I like to talk, you know, it's fun to talk fishing, Perfect. especially with Michael on board. I know. Yeah. So what do we got, Michael? You, you got to, you want to uh, you have a few more to take us out of here in the next uh, 15 or 20 or so? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I was on, I was on a podcast or not a podcast an Instagram, I don't know, interview today, you know, Tom, and you're talking about, you know, you're, 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 you're around 74 years of age. And I was, I was um, listening to a guy um, called uh, Nimble Will Nomad who just, uh, set the record for hiking the Appalachian trail at 83 Nice, <laughs> and, and he just completed it. It's his third time. Plus he's done all the other trails and, and walked, you know, 5,000 miles on route 66 or something. You know, he's, he's an incredible character, you know, long flowing white beard. He's written a couple of books and, uh, and somebody goes, are you going to write a book about 
this, you know, your, your experience. He was on trail for 261 days. And, and, and he goes, ah, I think I'm getting kind of old. And the person that was interviewing him said, you sound good to me. And I think you should do it. And don't let yourself, you know, be fooled. He said, I, I think I'm losing my vocabulary. He, she said, no way. And I would encourage you, you know, this whole shutting down, like I saw your, your, your website, you said you're shutting that down, you're selling your boat. And I'm thinking to myself, come on now, Tom, you know, you've got, you've got a lot more in you and a lot more to share. And, uh, I would encourage you to do, to do more things and, uh, and, and, and keep up the great work and the hiking and everything else. Um, so, so don't let that be a theme. Um, you know what I was, I was going to ask if you could talk a little bit about, um, Southside and the Connect and the history there, because, you know, I recently went on a tour with friends of the Connect and I learned so much and I know, you know, it, but others don't. Mm. And, uh, I find that, you know, I find you as a historian to be very, very fascinating. So if you could talk about the Southside uh, Sportsman's Club, that would be really cool. Well, Dave, you have to give us another hour. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. No. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing about the Southside Sportsman's Club is I can remember as a kid driving out on Sunrise Highway, going out to the Hamptons to visit a family we knew out there. And um, my father pointing to the gates of the Southside Sportsman's Club and telling me about the rich people that were able to go into that club and catch fish and shoot pheasants and, you know, everything else and uh, how lucky they were. And uh, then we'd go by the Carmen's, which at that time was was uh, owned by the Hards and was a private private preserve too. You had to pay to pay to play there. And he'd say the same thing, you know. And and then I got to walk through those gates. I, I remember interviewing a guy who was an old TUer, and he was a friend of Gil Bergen's, who was the, the caretaker of, of the club. And he said he remembered the day when he stopped looking into the club and started looking out from the club. And it was ours. It belonged to the public. It belonged to all of us. And what a wonderful thing that was. Uh, it is a piece of Long Island that has not been disturbed for over 100 years. So it's exactly as Long Island used to look. You know, the sandy trails and the pine trees and the, and the beautiful clear water just bubbling out of, this, out of the ground at 52 degrees all year long. Um, you know, it's, it's stocked with fish, has its own hatchery. But... That aside, you're not going to find a more beautiful place to me on Long Island than walking along that trail up up to uh, Bunce's Bridge, right, <laughs> right, Mike? Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. Um, but the wealthy preserved that and and kept it to themselves. But if they hadn't, it would all be soccer fields today. So I don't begrudge the wealthy that that buy up these large tracks and keep them natural and and use them for the right reasons, you know. Uh, I know, you know, the, the, out in Montana, there's huge tracks that are owned by the guy that owns, you know, what's his name, Ted, whatever it is. Ted, or, uh, and, yeah. And, yeah, sooner or later, that that's going to pass into public hands, and it'll be as it was. 
you know uh, so we need we need more of that preservation uh especially in these crowded urban areas i mean we've got millions of people living around the connect quad and you wouldn't know it you know so i don't begrudge it at all uh but i i do a presentation in fact it's up on uh on my youtube channel and and michael was the the host of that he's the one who invited me to do it so anybody who wants to know about the Connecticut and Long Island fishing, they can go onto that YouTube channel, Tom's Fishing Stories, and uh, look up the the talk on Connecticut. Oh, it goes perfect. for about an hour and fifteen. Perfect. I'll put a uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and everything else we talk about today. Uh, that's perfect. You mentioned the name Gil Bergen. Yeah. And and Dave, just for your information, I don't know if Gil Bergen. How many years was Gil Bergen at Connecticut? He was there two years before I was born. And he, he, di- he died there in 2018. And, and, and Dave, just to give you a flavor of the Southside Sportsman's Club, I think, and, and, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Gil Bergen, I think, was a dog trainer when he was like 16 or 17 years old or something at the park yeah. and, or at the club. And when they and when they um, transferred the ownership to the state, um, the story goes is that Gil went with it. Yeah. And yeah. he oversaw the park till till the day he died. Right. That's right. And uh, it's it's just a fascinating story. And and anybody that's ever ridden a horse pretty much on Long Island or fished any and or hunted, you know. And and you always forget that it was a hunting club too, but yes. but uh, but Gil like ran it right, and and if you didn't get off your beat by a certain time, you might have the eyes of Gil boring down on you, going <laughs> your late lead. And when he ran it, Dave, you parked your car. There might be a line down a highway to get a beat assignment. And then you parked in a neoprene waders. You walked, you know, a mile and a half to the river. You yeah. walked. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you fished. And then you got out on time and you walked back to your car. <laughs> no kidding. That's right. We used to so put the waders in a backpack. Yeah. 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 Or or me, I'd be walking in neoprenes in August. So, <laughs> so these beach, you, essentially, you go up there and you kind of get there early and sign up for whatever you want first first come first serve sort of thing correct yes and you can spend a, a good four hours working a beat you know if you if you do it right and but the lucky thing is on mondays the park is closed and uh art flick for example has a has a one monday a month where they, they can fish the park uh just them and uh, so they can wander from beat one to be 30, 30, you know, if, if they want, although that would take more than four hours, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, that's the beautiful thing about the, the club uh, activities at the park. Every Monday, there's a different club that has the, the park to themselves. Do either of you guys know, um, I mean, the, the art flick story, uh, much, I mean, I'm assuming you both know a little bit about, about him since you're, you know, the Trout Unlimited and everything, but yeah, I'm very familiar with art. In fact, I have a couple of books by him and of him. Um, he, he was quite a character actually. I mean, that name is known. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think pretty much all around the country. What, what do you think, you know, to, 
brought him up to prominence? Well, it's an interesting story. He, he was on West Kill up by the Schoharie River on the Hudson drainage. He had an inn, okay, like a little hotel, sportsman's inn. And you could go up there and you could fish the Schoharie or the West Kill. And, or you could go hunting for grouse or quail or what have you. And um, a famous a New York Times uh, journalist, uh, Mike, I forget his name now. Uh, I want to say Red Smith, uh, but it might have been another one. Um, used to stay at Westkill and would write about Westkill and, and, and Art Flick. And that's how his name became prominent through the New York Times. And the stories. And uh, then he did a study. He was working with Preston Jennings, who was trying to write a book on, on trout flies and did. And Art was collecting samples for, for Preston. And uh, he, he co- collected so many samples. He said, you know, what am I giving these all to Preston for? <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up, he did give them to Preston, but then he wrote a book. And his book was... Um, uh, the guide to, to, to Catskill flies oh, and yeah. their their hatch sequences and their colors and their sizes and their different forms. And uh, Art Flick's guide is, uh, to this day, I've, I've got three copies on my shelf. You know, I, oh, wow. I still refer back to it. And then he got involved with, uh, with uh, Robert Volker, or, or John Volker. He actually went out there and is in one of, to visit Volker to fish. And he ended up, I, I don't think he got skunked, but it was pretty close uh, after having traveled all the way from New York to, to Michigan, you know. So so he got, got around, you know. And uh, how he got to the Art Flick TU chapter, I think you guys adopted him, didn't you, Mike? I don't know if we adopted him or named, or named, or named the chapter after him. I always thought that he was responsible. Um, I want to say that he was a shoe salesman, right, you know, in his real life. And I, I want to say that he's also responsible for like a lot of the conservation movements uh, up on the Beaver Kill. Is that true? Well, I more mean, so. That's more what I so. Thought. I, I mean, I thought he created like no kill sections and stuff. Yeah, uh, on the note, on the on, he's on the Hudson drainage. You know, the Schoharie. They mm-hmm. they had a problem with bass coming up and eating all the trout, and so he had them build a small dam a very small dam that was enough that the bass couldn't get over it to separate mm-hmm. the bass that were down in the reservoirs from coming upstream and, and eating all the trout. So he was responsible for that. Uh, and I'm sure he was involved with all the other guys that, that, you know, put together the no-kill sections and the, and more importantly, the public access sections of all these mm-hmm. rivers in the Catskills, which at one time were all private. That's great. And now, and now a lot of them are public. Almost okay. all. You know, you you can you have access to every just about every stream. There are sections that are still private, but uh, that are owned by clubs and leased by clubs and such. But you can you can fish both sides of them. You know, so you get a little benefit from those club stockings. Michael, do you want to? Uh, I've got one more question uh, that I was going to ask Tom. Do you, do you uh, have one as well? Do you want to give give him two more, and then then we'll take it out of here. I was going to ask about favorite fly patterns um unless you were gonna ask that dave no mine was a little more uh, uh on off on a tangent so that's good i keep it I, I like that okay what i was gonna do tom could you give us your your favorite 
three best fly patterns for trout and for the salt. Ah, so you've well, got six flies. I am. And I'm I'm listening closely, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I, I don't use a lot of different flies. I I use, I have a few flies that I use. I I carry a very small pack. I don't have a vest. I mean, I have it, but I don't use it. And um, the flies that are in there, uh, I'm a dry fly fisherman. So... Uh, although I have nymphs in there and I have streamers in there. My, my favorite streamer is a black-nosed dace. My favorite uh, nymph is, is a, a gold rib hare's ear with a little, usually with a little pheasant tail off of it. And my favorite dry fly, there's three of them. It's the blueing olive. It's an Adam's parachute. And it's the joe stack. And the joe stack is really a Fran Betters haystack that's been modified by my friend Joe Odierna. And in the salt, there's one fly. <laughs> I use one fly. I use I use a uh, green and white clouser. The clouser has two lead eyes, and it fishes like a jig. You know, the, the hook rides up, so it doesn't snag on the bottom. And if you have a chartreuse and white clouser, in with a, some different weight eyes on it and a sinking tip line you can put that on in may and you can take it off in november it's a wonderful fly and when i'm when i'm using plugs it's they're all surface plugs you know pencil poppers and such uh, when i spin spin fish for the the salt but if i'm dry flying it's going to have a green and white clouds on it well, I was going to ask, um, there's a couple ways I guess I could fra- uh, frame this, but I was kind of thinking, that let's just take it to the river so you're on the river and, uh, you know, you, you make it out there. You're kind of we're questioning the, whether you're going to get there, but you get out there and then the the, the fishing isn't that great. I'm curious what, um, you know, what, what that other voice is saying in your head. It sounds like you've got this other voice there. Is, is that thing always talking to you? Yeah, you know, I... W- the, the the best thing about being on the river is I don't think about all the other things you, you have to think about. You know, you leave you leave your, your work life behind, you leave your problems behind, <clears throat> and you get out on the river and you're concentrating on, okay, let's let's find where the fish are and let's talk to the fish. And if the fish aren't cooperating that day, I know they're there. See, I know, I know they're there. You know, it's not like steelhead where they're running, they're running through and they're gone. I mean, these trout are there. They're just not cooperating today. So I sit down. I think about it. I look through my fly box. You know, I change a leader, you know, put a little tippet on. And I say, okay, I'm coming back. And uh, I seldom, seldom get skunked. And I also seldom catch a lot of fish, mainly because I'm not interested in catching a lot of fish. You know, some guys will find a spot and they'll start popping fish. I'll move out of that spot. I'll, you know, I'll give it up. I'll go to the next. I want another one. I want a different spot. Because um, I enjoy the challenge of playing hide and seek with the fish. Which is why, and that's why you enjoy dry fly fishing mostly, just for the challenge. Yes, yes, yes. And the top, the top, you know, you, you know, it's kind of like, um, 
the middle ground, right? The fish live underwater and we live on top of the water and we meet at the surface of the water. Hmm. Uh, so that that's our battleground. You know, I don't have to go to their living room. And they don't have to come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> I often think of, although I, I, I understand the effectiveness of nymphing, the only thing wrong with nymphing is you catch too many fish. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, this, this Euro nymphing thing too, right, is, is uh, kind of a, it's, uh, it's too easy. It's, it's just too easy. Well, I, I'm not going to say that. You know, you'd listen to George Daniels. I mean, he's brilliant, you know, but uh, <clears throat> it's, it, it's, it, it's just, uh, I remember in the seventies, there was a campaign to try and get bait fishermen and, and spin casters to convert to fly fishing. And oh, they had wow. a, a little cartoon with a, a worm on it. You know, it's almost like the chicken saying, uh, or the cow saying, yeah, go to Chick-fil-A, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, I think the, the, the nymphing is bringing us back to the worm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, Michael, anything else before we take it out of here? No, I'm good. Thank you. I, I've really enjoyed it. And, and Tom, thanks for, you know, you know, volunteering, you know, I think, uh, I think your books and your stories and your wisdom are, are something that everybody can learn from and enjoy. Thank so you, thank Michael. You. Thank you. And thank you, David. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. appreciate you doing this today. And, uh, we'll definitely keep in touch with you. I'll put links to your uh, email and, and Michael's email as well so people can connect with you. And, uh, yeah, if they want to pick up your books, it sounds like probably just heading to Amazon is the best place. Amazon.com and, uh, you know, Tom McCoy, Letters to Mac and How to Fly Fish for Trout and How to Improve Your Fly Fishing and Catching. All right, guys. Well, thanks for the time today and looking forward. Excited to keep in touch with you as we move forward. Thank thanks, you. David. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all links, everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 275, 275. A quick reminder, if you get a chance, uh, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Facebook. Head over there and that'll uh, direct you right over to our Facebook group where you can ask a question, uh, check in, uh, submit a, uh, if you want a guest, want to check in there or just connect, connect with me or the crew on facebook we have a big episode on thursday where we dig into classic rods reels and fly fishing gear find out how you can easily find that old school classic or vintage setup and uh and we kind of just give you some good uh, examples of what you can get into some really nice gear for actually a pretty reasonable price so uh so ward breaks it all down on on thursday you'll have a whole bunch of resources to help you get rolling just want to say thanks for stopping by the podcast today. Looking forward to catching up with you online or maybe on the stream. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.